0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Every day we plan and save for our futures, but are you taking into account tax strategies when dealing with your investments? I know, it's not something we think about often enough, but you can find ways to save and invest more and better plan for your future. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today.
1: I think that you should never ever be doing your banking, your finance on your primary device. Get yourself a cheap little Chromebook for 180 bucks. And the only thing that you do on that Chromebook is your banking and your finance. The risk of you getting something horrible and infiltrating your your bank account, somebody wiping out everything is is gonna be pretty slim at that point.
0: Hi everyone, it's Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining us today on Her Money. We talk a lot, a lot on this show about all the different ways that we can protect ourselves from, Financial risks. We buy insurance to guard against sudden illness and accidents. We invest in a diversified portfolio so that we can grow our money, whether stocks or bonds or having an off year. But there is another type of risk that we sometimes overlook because we just don't think it'll happen to us. We just don't think we'll fall for it. And that's financial fraud. I have, and we can talk about this, I have been there and done that. And I just want to say, if I can fall for this, then I really believe that anyone can fall for it. And financial scams have gotten more complicated and more prevalent over time, making them harder to escape. We know that financial fraud peaked during the pandemic as more people lived their lives online, which meant putting themselves at greater risk of identity theft, debt relief scams, even romance scams. In 2022, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, received $2.5 reports of fraud totaling more than eight billion dollars in losses that by the way up from 6 billion as recently as 2019 1.2 billion of those scams came from social media the top five categories of these scams just in case you're wondering we're talking about imposter scams when somebody is pretending to be somebody that you trust online shopping scams fake sweepstakes and lotteries, investment scams, and fake business or job opportunities. So how do you steer clear? On today's show, we're gonna dive into all of these different types of fraud, how you can spot them, what to do if you think that you or someone you know has fallen for a scam. And we're gonna do it with Kim Commando, who I am sure is no stranger to so many of you. Kim is a tech expert, she is host of the Kim Commando Show, which is a talk radio show about technology that reaches more than six and a half million listeners nationwide. She also hosts the Kim Commando television show on Bloomberg and a podcast called the Daily Tech Update. Her website, commando.com, has helped tens of millions of readers learn about the latest in tech news and different ways that they can protect themselves online. And today, she is here to help all of
1: us. Kim, welcome. Great to see you. So happy to be here, Jean. This is amazing. Thank you for inviting me on. Of course. So we know financial scams
0: have been around pretty much forever, but they've really evolved as the internet and social media have grown. What are you seeing these days?
1: Gosh, I'll tell you, you know, it's astounding to me how many people are getting scammed. Like, for example, I took a call from a woman the other day. So smart. You could tell she was smart. There was a lot of brain cell activity going there. So she called me up. She said, I just want to tell you what happened to me, is that I got involved in a romance scam. And she ran her own business. Uh, She was in her early 60s. And she went online, and somebody on Facebook said, oh, you know what? You are the woman of my dreams. And he was 36 years old, a doctor, and in Australia, but actually worked in the Outback, so he wasn't always available, of course.
0: Of course, but very sexy being from the Outback.
1: Oh, you know what? I saw a picture of the guy. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I would like a 12-pack like that too, okay? (laughs) I mean, move over, girlfriend. So she ended up giving him $60,000 oh, for no. various things. You know, He needed to buy a new passport. He needed to get a plane ticket. And they never video chatted, but they did chat online. And they actually went into a private chat room so they could have private, intimate conversations, which they did over six months. Okay, so then she kind of wakes up and she says, I just got scammed out of 60 grand. I have to be smarter than this. So she's talking to her kids, and her daughter says, you know, why don't you go on Plenty of Fish? Because maybe you might find somebody better there than just, say, on Facebook. So she goes on to Plenty of Fish, and she meets another guy, only he works in Houston on an oil rig, okay? And he doesn't have the opportunity to come visit her, and she says, you know what, I'm just so leery of meeting anybody online because I just got scammed out of $60,000. And he says to her, you know, aside from me working on the oil rig, I actually am a hacker. I am. And tell me everything about this guy in Australia, and I'm gonna do my best to get your $60,000 back. So, of course, she hands over all of her banking information, her wires that she did. Wait, it gets worse. Okay. So he says to her, you know, in order for me to actually pursue this, I have to go to the Australian government and I have to pay some certain fees. Okay. $10,000, $20,000. Okay. She ends up giving the second guy $100,000. So in a matter of a year, she's out $160,000. Okay.
0: It's unbelievable. It's crazy isn't it? It's crazy. You would say it's unbelievable. But when we started this conversation, you said she's a smart woman, right? Right. I think I'm a smart woman. And yet, when somebody from a foreign speakers bureau reached out to me with an offer of a speech that was in so many ways too good to be true, I went down the rabbit hole. And was only able to escape getting scammed by the skin of my teeth, right? I woke up early enough that I wasn't out any money. But it could have been really bad. And I think we want to believe the best about people. We want to believe the best about ourselves, right? Like I wanted to believe that this Speakers Bureau was interested in bringing me to Japan when in fact that was not the case. What are the hallmarks of a scam?
1: Well, number one is anytime anybody asks you for money, that you don't actually video chat with them. You've never seen them. They pray to your emotions. There's a sense of urgency. Those are the telltale signs. And now with ChatGPT, you know, these scammers are getting a lot better. I mean, it used to be you could say, oh, well, you know, there were typos. The sentences didn't make sense. Okay, that's not the case anymore. It's no longer just these telltale signs. I mean, you have to really be truly, truly on your toes. Another example of a scam, okay? A woman, again, calls my show, and uh, she went into a TikTok grief support room. They're sharing all these grief support videos and going back and forth. And she's 55. Her husband, a firefighter, just died of cancer. And so she's very emotionally vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And somebody in this TikTok chat room reaches out to her and says, you know, I feel so badly for you. This is horrible. If you want, I can paint a picture of your husband with his ashes, and she says, how much are you going to charge? And the, and the person says, oh, you know what? I just want to help you. I really, I just, I'm a good Christian woman, and I just want to help you. Okay. And they said, make sure that you send us all the ashes. Do not, you know, we need every single ash in order to make a really good painting. So she's smart enough to say, I'm not going to send all the ashes. I'm going to only send 50% of the ashes. And she sends them to a house in Woodstock, Georgia. And then she gets an email and they say, oh, you know what, thanks for sending the ashes. If you want the ashes back, you got to pay us $3,500. So now it's post office fraud, right? Postal fraud. So she calls the post office in Woodstock, Georgia, and says, I just sent my husband's ashes to this house and you need to investigate it. She calls the local police. The police go over to this house where there's it's an 80-year-old man who's sitting there with boxes of people's ashes around him. And didn't know why he was getting them, but didn't think to, say, raise his hand and say, hey, I don't know why I'm getting people's ashes. And to this day, they keep hounding her to say, you know, we still have the ashes. We still have the ashes. Until finally she said, you know what? I don't care. You didn't get them all. But think about how evil that must person must be to go that low to go after your heartstrings, after your husband just died oh my gosh. I have goosebumps. I mean,
0: all of these things, one is simply worse than the next. And I'm wondering, you know, we're at a period right now in our country's financial history where people are stressed. You know, the markets are volatile. Layoffs are coming. Interest rates are rising. We're dealing with inflation. It's not been a pretty year. Oh, and a pandemic, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. (laughs) To layer on.
0: As you've seen people get more stressed about their own lives, are we more susceptible to fraud?
1: You know, that's an excellent point, Jean. And the answer is absolutely yes. But I think technology is getting better too. Um, Let me give you another example. Grandmother, and uh, I actually, I spoke to her as well. Grandmother gets a phone call from her grandson. And the grandson says, well, I don't know what to tell you this, but, uh, you know, I'm in jail. And I need $10,000 to get out of jail. And I don't want my parents to know. And, Granny, if you could just help me out. So Grandma goes to five banks and takes $2,000 out of each one that she can through her ATM card. And uh, the grandson calls her back and says, you know what, Granny, thank you. I'm so happy that you have the money. Uh, I'm going to send an Uber to come pick it up. Okay. And Uber comes and picks up the $10,000 from the grandmother. How did that all happen? With artificial intelligence now and deep fake technology, all you need to do is answer the phone and say hello, and they can replicate your voice.
0: Wow. I mean, I was going to ask if this person was so old that they didn't know the voice of their own grandson. I mean, my mother's 82, and she would know if
1: this was not her grandson but it's because of the deep fake technology and that see her grandson had a pretty big following on Instagram and so the scammers were able to take his voice deep fake that voice and give it the tone the inflections uh, but there are some telltale signs of deep fake voice it doesn't yet have the emotion the umph And so if you get a phone call and it's just flatlined, you know, there's no ups and downs, so to speak, as that's a telltale sign. And of course, you know, what's the logical thing to do is you call your grandson back and you say, hey, are you in jail or not? And he's probably not in jail. He may be at a frat party, but that's about it.
0: So as we look at fraud as just a big category of things, knowing that these frauds are being perpetrated in so many different ways. What are the preventative steps that we can take to set ourselves up not to be fooled? I mean, what you said earlier about anybody asking for money in a hurry, about people not being willing to talk to you face-to-face or on video. For me, the telltale sign was I looked for a website and the website was clearly a fake. And that was how I thought, OK, there's something going on here if I can't find this. But I wonder, are there things that we should be doing, like taking ourselves off mailing lists? Or, I mean, it's hard not to put a lot of details on social media if you live on social media, but is what are the preventative steps?
1: You know, you want to keep your online private life as much as you can, right? Uh, So, you know, you can always double check your Facebook profile so you can see what it looks like to somebody who's not in your friend's circle. Um, You can do the same thing. You can make your Twitter account private. You can make your Instagram account private. So what you wanna do is you wanna start taking back whatever privacy that you can. I mean, we went through this whole stage where everything that we did in our lives that had to be online up to including like, you know, taking 10 pictures of that piece of apple pie that you made or whatever it may be. It's just like ridiculous. And that's the first step. The second thing is you wanna go in and we have all these people search sites, okay? One of the worst ones in the entire world, and Gene, if you could do it now, I'd, I'd love for you to do it because I think you're going to be shocked if you've never checked out this site. It's called FamilyTreeNow.com, and it purports to be this whole Family Tree website, and you have to be careful where you click because they're going to try to upsell you things. But if you go to FamilyTreeNow.com, this is where a lot of scammers hang out, and you just type in your first and last name, your city and state, and then up comes everything about you. Okay, I'm talking for free. This is not one of these people search sites where they're gonna charge you $50 a month or anything. This is free. Like for example, they had my home phone, they had my cell phone, uh, they had every address that I lived for the last 30 years. Uh, My son, my husband, my mother, my father, my sisters, and everybody's all related. But from this, in this free search, is that a scammer can figure out everything about you. And so, what you wanna do is you wanna start to go into these sites and figure out how to opt out. Now, every Tuesday at my website, commando.com, we call it Opt Out Tuesday. Every Tuesday, we go to a different site where a scammer can get your information and we teach you how to opt out. And let me tell you, it's not easy to opt out of these sites
0: i'm looking at this one they know far too much about me i did just what you said and after your warning i was scared to put in my first name and last name and location but i did it they've got names of people that i'm related to names of people that i'm no longer related to because i'm divorced i mean they have a lot how would i start the process of opting out from a site like this
1: You know, you can look in their terms and conditions. That's the hard way. (laughs) The easy way is you go to commando.com with a K, of course, and you type in family tree, now opt out, and we're gonna give you all the steps how to do it. On the website, we have about, right now, I think there's about 40 different sites for you to opt out. And I know it's so hard because everything that we have is so public now, is just to keep everything as much as you can to your best. And also, you know, I'm always the optimist. I mean, the glass is always half full, right? You have to proceed with really a big, big sense of caution from anything that you get from anybody who you just don't know. Even if they say they're friends of a friend, type of thing, is that you just really just have to, you know, stop and think. I mean, I actually trademark this: stop and think. Don't click that link. I mean, if it's just a little mantra. That if we just slow down, and we all move way too quickly, and I get that. I'm guilty of that, too, is that if you just slow down just a little bit, I think that that's really what the first step is.
0: I'm wondering about the older people in our lives. We know older people are much more likely to be targeted by a scam. We know one study from a TSB bank found that 66% of victims of romance scams are women. Why do you think that is?
1: Oh, maybe because we're too trusting, we're too nurturing, we want to save the world, we want to help everybody, and maybe we're just a little bit more vulnerable in that extent. I mean, you know, I say that, but then I I think of another woman who called me from Nashville, Tennessee, and she's a district manager for a big company. And for the last three years, she's been giving some guy $30,000 a year. And she wanted to know if it was a scam. And I started talking to her. I said, so have you ever, like, uh, chatted with this person, like, off of Google Meet? No. Have you ever uh, video chatted? No. And so she thought, so now all of a sudden she thinks it's a scam because he wants $1,500 because he says that she gave him a virus on his computer and he's on an oil rig off of Ireland It's dumbfounding to me. So I ended up telling her, I said, listen, are you lonely? And she said, no, I have a full life. And I said, let me ask you again. Do you wish that you had somebody in your life that you could talk to? And she said, yes. And I said, you're lonely, okay? And you're desperate for attention. And you don't have anybody that you can, you know, go to church, go to synagogue, go join, you know, a hospice group and help people do something and i ended up telling her i said listen if you're really lonely i'll have somebody on my staff talk to you once a week and you can send us 30 grand i mean (laughs) that's just the way it is but it's i don't know jean she just didn't want to believe that she was being scammed either
0: well i think loneliness is a huge huge part of it i mean when we look at the statistics about women and longevity and divorce And, you know, we are, most of us, going to be alone if we had a male partner at some point in our life. We are going to outlive that person. And it makes it all the more important to have networks of other women that you can tap into who you know are more likely to be around, just, you know, for company, for friendship, so that you're not
1: reaching out to strangers, to fill that void. No, 100%. I mean, and there's, you know, there are online support groups and there are meetups. I mean, there are ways to do things. Um, You know, just when you were talking about women to be around, I mean, almost every morning there's a group of five or six of us and we get up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning and we go walking and we put in like 30, 35 miles a week. And one of the women in there, Jo, is her name. And she, and I looked at her. I said, dang, you look hot. And she's like, you know, since January, I lost 15 pounds. And I'm like, it's great. And it also gives you that female bond. You know, you can talk to other women about certain things. You know, maybe you're tired of picking up your husband's underwear or whatever it is that, you know, that you can't talk to anybody else about. And so what I have found is that that's good for all of us, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, you know, all that stuff. And so, and that's a really good point. You know, you have to take the initiative. Nobody's going to come knock on your door and say, do you want to go for a walk? (laughs) Do you want to go volunteer? Do you want to, it's really up to you to get your butt in gear and just do it
0: and get yourself out there. And walking is just, I've made friends. We're new in the city of Philadelphia and I have made friends here walking, which has been really, really wonderful. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Kim, I want to talk about how you became Kim Commando. I want to talk a little bit about how you found your way into this field of helping people navigate the digital space. As I said, quick break. We'll be right back on the other side. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Have you taken into account tax strategies when dealing with your investments? I do it with my advisors a couple of times a year, and so I can tell you. The right tax planning can help you save, but the wrong ones, well, they can cost you. Are you saving where you could be and taking advantage of strategies that can help you grow your money for the future? With a little advanced planning, you can find ways to save and invest more and make sure this year is one for the books. Visit plan EFE.com slash her money to schedule your complimentary wealth checkup. And we are back with Kim Commando, tech expert, host of the Kim Commando show. How'd you get interested in doing this?
1: Oh boy. It's an overnight success. Not. Okay. Well, it really goes back to my mom. In the 70s, my mother started working for Bell Labs and as the only woman systems analyst. And she was actually one of the inventors of the Unix operating system, the video phone, 411. I mean, you know, just this woman, brilliant. But when she got the job, they said, you know, you can't take any time off. And at that time, you could tell a woman that, you know, we understand you have kids. So bottom line is that whenever I was sick, is that I would go to Bell Labs. And so I started working on these mainframe computers and just playing games, not realizing that it was setting a foundation. So fast forward, I go to college, graduated high school when I was 15, you know, I was on that fast track. And as I was going through college, I wanted to be an architect because I had traveled the world because my father worked for United Airlines. And at the time, I didn't realize what was going on. But my father called me and he said, you know, listen, Kim, I'm making a whole bunch of new hires for United at LaGuardia and Newark. And I need you to go to ASU's library and tell me who makes the most money the first year out of school, because I don't know what to pay these people if they come to me with a finance marketing degree or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh gosh, you know. But my father was Russian Ukrainian. Okay, you never said no to this guy. So I did the report and I emailed it off to him, and then he called me up. He said, I don't understand this, you need to explain it to me. So I explained the whole report to him. And then I said, oh, by the way, I'm changing my major to computer science because that was number one on the list. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, Dad knew what motivated little Kimmy. And uh, when I graduated from college, he said, you know that whole report I made you do? I said, yeah. He said, it was all BS. I'm like, no way. Yes. So that worked. So I worked for IBM, AT&T, and Unisys, blew through those corporations. And by the time I was 25 which is obviously more than 25 years ago, I was making about $80,000, $90,000 a year, but insanely not happy in doing what I was doing. And so somebody told me I had a face for television. So I went and worked for Fox and I started doing like these computer segments. And then somebody said, you know, you really have a voice for radio. You know, it's been a great, great career. It's been a great ride. I still love what I do. I don't have to work but I work probably 60 hours a week. My husband came to me the other day. He said, you know, I thought we were going to stop. He goes, but you just, you're starting another company. And I'm like, I know. Isn't it great? (laughs) You know?
0: (laughs) I think the thing about you that I relate to is that you take this very complicated subject and you make it easy for people who are not technological natives, digital natives to understand, right? Technology is not easy for me. I mean, I know my way around my phone and my laptop, and that's pretty much it. But you take these things and you put them in plain English. And so I'm hoping that we can do a little bit more of that when it comes to protecting our financial lives, right, when it comes to protecting our personal information, our banks and our credit cards, our phones and our laptops, what are the must-dos, the top two or three or four must-dos that everybody should know about and make sure that they have checked off?
1: Well, first of all, I think that you should never, ever be doing your banking, your finance on your primary device, okay? Whether it's your laptop, your Chromebook, your desktop, your phone. Why not? Because the whole idea is that you're going to separate your online life from your financial life. And so get yourself a cheap little Chromebook for $180. And the only thing that you do on that Chromebook is your banking and your finance. Because... Let's say on your main computer, you know, you're going so fast, you click a bad link. And suddenly you have malware, key loggers, whatever it is. And you're on social media and you say, wow, this is a great dress and it's only $12 and I want to buy it right now. Okay, that's what you're going to do on that computer. And then the other computer is the only thing that you do is your financing. So the risk of you getting something horrible and infiltrating your your bank account somebody wiping out everything is is going to be pretty slim at that point So if you've got
0: a relationship with your bank online on that other computer, the $180 laptop, can you also pay your credit card bill on that computer? Can you do all of your financial stuff?
1: Yes, you're going to do all your financial stuff just on that separate one. Of course, you know, and then everybody knows, I mean, you need to set up two-factor authentication, right? Your security keys, your pass keys, you know, use a password manager because this way you're going to be less likely to go ahead and... You know, make an easy password that somebody can just crack in a millisecond.
0: Is it okay to use the password manager that's built into your browser?
1: You know, that's really, if you are sharing a computer, absolutely not. If it's just your device, I would say it's okay. I mean, I put everything inside... Apple key pass. I mean, I will tell you that. I mean, it's just, and it's so easy. And especially now with Apple, they have this new thing like hide your email. And so if you want to give your email address out, you can get a disposable email address, basically. And, you know, a lot of people don't know you can do the same thing on Gmail. And so let's say your Gmail address is the great Gene Chatsky ever at gmail.com. And then, so what it's you can not. Have by is, the
0: way, we'll just <laughs> <okay>. tell people.
1: <laughs> you know, I would. I'm surprised, Gene. Come on. <laughs> okay. You know, then you'd say the great Gene Chatsky. and you put a plus sign, and then you think after that, Google just will ignore. So you can set up these disposable email addresses. You know, you're going to have a good antivirus program. Make sure that all of your systems are always up to date. Your apps are up to date. I mean, it's really difficult, truly. Because it's not like a lot of these companies will come knocking on your door and say, hey, I just want to let you know that we have a major system update. I mean, even your printer can get hacked. I mean, it's just a matter of being super smart. But one thing that I will say, because you mentioned divorce, a lot of women are making the same mistake, that when they get divorced, the guy moves out of the house, but they keep the router. And they may say, well, I'm going to change the password to the router. Maybe they don't do it. And then they're wondering, like, how the ex knows everything that's going on or whatever it may be. You know, if you get divorced, you just need to buy a new router. If somebody is pretty tech savvy, and maybe if they're not, they can put a backdoor in that router. And see, the router has something called remote access. All of them have it. Okay. So all that person has to do is turn on remote access on the router, and then suddenly they can see everything that's going on on the network. So... You know, I know I just went off on a tangent, (laughs) but anyway. um, No, it's great. It's
0: all great information. I mean, one of the things that I've told people to do, and I'd love to get your sense of this, is just freeze your credit so that nobody can take out credit in your name.
1: No, 100%. And it's so easy to do now. You can just do it online. I mean, You don't have to pay somebody $20 a month to do it. I've got two more questions for you. The first
0: one is about... AI. We're hearing so much about ChatGPT and other forms of artificial intelligence. What do people need to
1: know before they start using these tools? Wow. ChatGPT has just changed the world. A big fundamental shift. I mean, think of the printing press. What happened? Think of the iPhone. This is bigger than any of that. It's going to destroy 5 million jobs this year here in the United States. The thing that you have to remember is that it's not always 100% correct. It actually has been known to make up its own resources and sources for things. So you have to proceed with caution and know that it's not the end-all of end-all. But I will tell you, it is a phenomenal tool. I probably use it three or four times a day because instead of looking something up in Google and getting 10 pages of junk, is that I can just ask it a question, I get it right there. That's why Google's all freaked out. But seriously, it's something that you need to talk to your kids about. You know, they can't be ripping off stuff and getting their thesis, their reports in there because now everybody's checking it. And if you have a job as a data entry clerk, a writer, a systems analyst, a tech writer, Anything that you can think of that you can be replaced by is that you've got to, like, man up on your skill game or you're going to be out on the street. And it's not to say that the robots are taking over everything. I mean, mean, we've all seen the Boston Dynamics robots, right? The dogs that can – and they stand up and they jump around. You know, those are coming. They're going to be doing the landscaping on your bushes probably within five years. But somebody has to teach that robot to cut the hedges that way. So it's a fundamental shift – that the way that the society is going to move so fast, and that's why the big dogs are saying, when I mean like big dogs, like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and the others, uh, Steve Wozniak, is saying that we need to put the brakes on AI, and the government's saying we need to figure out how to regulate AI. You know, the cat's already out of the bag, but what does this mean to us? And what I've told the people on my staff Because, you know, they get, every time I say it, they just groan, Gene. I say, you know, if you don't innovate, you evaporate, okay? Every day we have to be an innovator or else we won't be here tomorrow. And my job is that we have to really put more personality into things because that's something that AI doesn't have.
0: They don't. Yeah, have the ability. Wow. Thank you for that. All right. Last question. And it's actually not my question. We have a mailbag segment on this show, and we got a question that is right in your wheelhouse. So I was hoping that you wouldn't mind uh, fielding it for us. It comes from Landa. And she says, my son turned 18 this year and he is my only heir. I'm a single mom who raised him in a foreign country alone. I'm worried about how he'd manage the apartment he'd inherit as well as the mortgage and bills in a country like Poland, where even natives can't manage the bureaucracy. I do have a term insurance policy, an executor for the will, but he will need to get the ball rolling. He has attention deficit issues, so I'm not sure he'll find the info even with a just-in-case folder with a neon sign pointing to it. So I'm thinking of creating a video manual slash diary for him that walks him through all the aspects of managing the property and the finances on his own. My question is, would a private YouTube channel be safe? It would be the most accessible option for him, but I'm worried about the security of it. Of course, I can upload the videos to Google and have them password protected, but I know he'll lose the password. What's my best option here. And, you know, I have some thoughts about putting another person in this loop. I think you need a successor, somebody to help him with this, a a trustee that you name that you trust, paid or unpaid, Landa, because your son has clearly some limitations. But I'm very curious about the specific part, Kim, about the YouTube channel and about videos on Google because we know people learn differently and some people learn best from video. Some people learn best from reading. Some people learn best from people. Is this safe for her to do?
1: Oh, well, you know, the problem is, is that if you have a private YouTube channel, it is private so long as nobody else has the link. But as soon as somebody has the link, all of a sudden, guess what? It's not so private anymore. It's a Difficult situation where she is, I'd almost be inclined to not do a video is to put it in a book and to write it all down step by step, because I don't know who else might have access to that link or who he will share that link with at some point that maybe that person shouldn't have access to that information. I'd probably go a little bit of old school on that just to keep all that information safe or maybe put it on I was thinking if she wanted to do a video, she could maybe just do the video and put it on even a thumb drive or something and put it with her estate documents. And so this way, when she does pass, he can put in that thumb drive and it would pop up automatically.
0: Kim, thank you so much for this. I know your website is commando.com. It's commando with a K. Anywhere else you want to send people for more information?
1: Yeah, I would love for folks to subscribe to our, our free newsletter. Every morning we put together the tech news, And then every afternoon we do some type of tech life hack. And then we also send out security alerts. So whenever there's a big privacy bust, data breach, uh, massive update for your phone or your PC or whatever it may be, is that we send out these alerts. And so, and they're absolutely free. About half a million people now get them every single day, and you can sign up at commando.com slash subscribe. We're not going to spam you or do anything like that. Don't worry about that. Uh, so it's K-O-M-A-N-D-O dot and then slash subscribe. Thank you
0: so much for this today. We really appreciate it, and uh, I learned an awful lot. I don't know how well I'm going to sleep tonight. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, you well, You well. Thanks, Gene, for having me.
0: Before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors. And we are back for Mailbag, a little bit of a different Mailbag today. I want you all to meet my daughter, Julia Chatsky. She is joining us for Mailbag. Hey, Jules. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. You know, I got to say that my big worry in inviting you to sit in for Mailbag was that we sound a lot alike, and we also sound like grandmoms. I don't think we sound alike,
2: but everybody else seems to, so... Tell everybody just a little bit about you. i Julia. Like she said, I'm 26. I'm living in Manhattan. I work in PR. Definitely a little more frivolous with my money than my mother would advise, but, you know, learning from the best, so excited to dive in. You see, I have an ulterior motive in inviting you to do this. And... Yeah, I see right through you, Mom. <laughs> okay.
0: So here's how this is going to go. Julia is going to read the questions, as our other mailbag hosts have been doing. I'll answer them. And if you have any
2: follow-ups, Jules, go ahead and just ask me what you want to know, okay? Okay. All right. Go ahead. Our first question today comes to us from Tim. He writes... Hello. Do you have any suggestions on a company that can refi student loans for people without a lot of credit history? Trying to help my kid get out of variable rates. Thank you in advance.
0: It's a really good question because it's not just Tim's kids who don't have a lot of credit history. It's all kids who don't have a lot of credit history. You went through this when you got your first credit card. It's when you start out in the working world. Whether you went to college or you didn't go to college, you have, or at least you should have, what the credit bureaus refer to as a thin credit file, which means there's not a lot of information in there. And credit bureaus base their decisions on whether to loan to you and how much to charge you for those loans on your past behavior, on your credit history. And so these kids, they don't have anything. And that's why people will sometimes add children to their credit cards as authorized users before they have a job and before they have income just to get them to be able to build a credit history. Tim, the good news for you and for your kids is that we know there are some companies, in particular SoFi, that are underwriting based on things other than credit history. So if your kids have, for example, a job, if they have income, if they have graduated from college and can show that they have a diploma, SoFi and a few of the other companies that are particularly specializing in student lending, are willing to take those things into consideration. So that's where I would start. I'd go straight there, fill it out. They may ask you to cosign, and that is going to be a decision that you're going to have to base on Whether or not you trust your kids to continue to pay back these loans, it's a decision you want to take really carefully because co-signing can be a very, very slippery slope. And unlike refinancing a mortgage where you've got to go through an onerous process, refinancing a student loan is not such a big deal. So I would say try now. If you don't get into the rate you want, you may want to do it again with your kids in another year after they've built up some additional credit. And if they don't have a credit card at this point that they are using and paying off on a regular basis, they should get one because that's the best way to build some credit.
2: What type of credit card would you say is the better credit card to build credit off of? The one that you can get.
0: And that's not a... uh, I'm not trying to be funny, right? It's not a pat answer. It's just depending on your credit score. And everybody should know your credit score. If you don't know your credit score, you can get it for free from a place like Credit Karma, knowing that they are going to put you on your list and market to you because they gave you your credit score for free. But it's the credit card that will have you with your in credit files. So typically that is going to be a big credit card program, um, not a not a small bank but a big bank. Um, and it's it's going to be a uh, a credit card that is is sort of geared to that middle of the road customer. Again, there are lots of lists of credit cards for people with good credit, not great credit or fair credit, not good credit. The the most important thing is to keep your behavior with that credit card on the straight and narrow. And the best way to do that is just to pick one bill that you know that you have to pay every single month. Put that bill on the credit card and set up an automatic payment for the credit card and don't use it otherwise. Just put it in your wallet and, and leave it alone.
2: Make sense? Yeah, makes okay. sense. All right, let's do the next one. Our next question comes from Tracy. She writes, hello, Jean. I have a question about how the differences in ETFs and mutual funds are tax. I recently found out that I have to pay an income tax on my index fund investments, even if I don't touch them. I guess this is from the dividends that are automatically reinvested. Honestly, I don't understand that part. Given this, I am wondering if one does want to invest in index funds, mine are all S&P 500 index funds. In a brokerage account, is it better to go the ETF index fund route or the mutual fund index fund route? I know the expense ratios are different and I think they are lower in general for mutual fund index funds, but given the difference in how they're taxed, I wonder which type is better for long-term investing. Thank you both so much for the good work you do. I feel more comfortable managing my money with every episode I listen to.
0: Well, that's nice. Thank you, Tracy, for that, and I'm glad you're listening. You're sort of confusing the lingo, and I think it would help all of us if we just take a step back and talk about what's an ETF, what's an index fund, and what's a mutual fund, right? So a mutual fund is a pool of investments, Um, and it is an actively managed mutual fund if that pool of investments is handpicked by a manager. It's an index fund. An index fund is a form of a mutual fund if it's a pool of investments that exists because it's part of a particular index. So the S&P 500 is an index of the largest 500 stocks that the S&P, Standard & Poor's, follows. And that's what's in the S&P. An index fund is a, as I said, form of a mutual fund. An ETF is like an index fund, but instead of trading like a mutual fund, it trades like a stock. And for that reason, the taxes and the tax treatments are are different. So just like with individual stocks, when, when you sell shares of an index fund or an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, and you make money on that, you owe taxes on that. That is, that is called a gain. But the difference between... ETFs and index funds, is that you may owe taxes if the fund sells securities, sells stocks that it holds, and it makes money, even if you, as an individual, haven't sold any shares at all. And under the law, a fund has to pass along any of those gains to its shareholders at least once a year. So now you're wondering, okay, with a big index like the S&P 500, why would a fund sell investments? They have to sell investments and sometimes buy investments to keep pace with the index. The S&P 500 is set up to hold these stocks in a certain proportion. And just like when you rebalance your portfolio, If that proportion gets out of whack, then they've got to buy or sell shares in order to bring it back in line. The other thing that happens is that when the markets are down, and the markets have been down lately, at least they were down in 2022, sometimes shareholders pull their money out of funds. And that means that the funds have to give the money back. And in order to give the money back to the shareholders, they have to sell investments in the funds to raise cash so that they can pay their shareholders out. And if they sell investments that have gains, investments on which they've made money, then they have to pass along those gains to their shareholders. Understand? So Julia's looking at me like I just said the world was flat. Yeah, you have 12 heads right now. (laughs) All right. Let me just acknowledge that this is complicated, right? The tax treatment of funds. Let let me start with the first question. What is an ETF? No, we did that already. (laughs) An ETF is an index fund that trades like a stock, right? Mm, Mutual funds, they trade essentially once a day. Stocks trade all day and all night long. And so that's just the difference between the two of them. But for Tracy's point, I think that explanation may go over the heads of some people, and I'm really sorry. I try my hardest not to do that. But for Tracy's point and for everybody else who is choosing between ETFs and index funds, If you don't want to deal with this sort of capital gains situation, these taxes, on an annual basis, it's better to go the ETF route. It's just that simple. Because with an ETF, you have the choice of when you sell and when you pay the taxes. And with an index fund or any mutual funds, The taxes may be passed along to you even if you don't do anything. One little additional wrinkle, Mm -hmm. if you hold these things in a retirement account, you're not going to pay the taxes on them. But that's just some additional information to hold on to. And Julia, it's your first time. You're going to get better at this. (laughs) (laughs) If you have any other money-related questions, we would love to hear from you. Just send them to us by emailing mailbag at hermoney.com.
2: Thanks, Jules. Welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Families have a lot going on. And we are back with your money tip of the week. Wondering how to teach your kids about money? It might sound complicated to break down budgeting, let's say, to a five-year-old, which is, by the way, why you should not do it. But starting early is key, and there are plenty of ways to make it age-appropriate. One strategy is to teach them about trade-offs. Show them 10 $1 bills and brainstorm all the ways they could spend that money. They could buy three bags of chips, for example, or one toy they really want, but they can't have both. You might be surprised at how creative your kids can get at suggesting ways to make the most of those $10. It's a great lesson in allocating resources. If you want more tips for raising your kids with good money habits, you can find them at hermoney.com. Thanks for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Kim Commando for showing us how to better protect ourselves and our money in the digital world. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We would like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon.